Anne mentioned 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, 2 Corinthians 5, 16. I'm going to read it in three different translations. It says, Wherefore henceforth know we, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. In the voice translation, it reads like this. It says, well, let me read the other Amplified, the Revised Amplified. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view according to worldly standards and values. Though we have known Christ from a human point of view, we, now we no longer know him in this way. In the voice it reads, because of all that God has done, we now have a new perspective. We used to show regard for people based on worldly standards and interests no longer. We used to think of the anointed the same way no longer. So, and with that scripture in mind, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 16 in mind, I want you to turn now to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read the uh, good portion of the passage or good portion of the chapter, and then I'm going to come back and we'll, and we'll look at it a little more closely. Acts chapter 9 verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth. And heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Verse 9, and he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Verse 10, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias said, Lord... I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, 
to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Verse 21. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called upon his name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in the basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, the son of consolation, the son of rest, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was coming with them, coming in and going out at Jerusalem, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Well, there's the story. There's the story of what we now know as the Apostle Paul's conversion, how that our Lord Jesus appeared unto him in a vision, knocked him off his vehicle, knocked him off his transportation to Damascus, and, and got his attention. I want to look, look at a few verses here. Let's go back to, uh, let's go back to verse 4. Remember, my, remember the first scripture we read? that wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Verse, uh, verse 4 of chapter 9, he said, And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou my disciples? Why persecutest people who believe in me? Why persecutest? No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, why persecutest thou me? We are the body of Christ and members in particular. Um, we are called the body of Christ 
in Ephesians 1.23. He's given us all things. He's put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to his church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We are the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, you know, what concord hath, you know, light with darkness. And he goes through a lot of comparisons. And then he says, basically talking about the believer and the unbeliever, and that there were to be, you know, um, not unequally yoked and not, 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 not necessarily in union with, with, with some things that would be called darkness. He calls it this light and darkness. And he says, Christ, the anointed one, and Belial. In other words, Christ and the enemy. In other words, he's making a very stark statement there. The pastor on Sunday um, was talking about uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And in verse 15, it says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We don't have to die in order to become saintly and to be known as the Lord's. When we are believers in Him, we are His now. Sometimes we think that, 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 uh, that He is Jesus and, you know, Jesus Christ and that we are somebody else. No, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We've been adopted into his family. When the pastor, when you adopted the children, you gave them your name, okay? They belong to you. There is no mistake about who they belong to. When you walk through the door, nobody says, you know, oh, you know, uh, here comes Richard and his body, okay? No, your body has the same name as your head does, okay? If your head has the same name as Richard, your body, your, your, your body has, the, has the same name, okay? That our identity is in Him. And so, therefore, when our identity is in Him, that's the way we need to see each other as members in particular of the, the body of Christ. We're not something separate. We're not something far away. We are named after Him. For, and, um, and He said, when He said, Who art thou, Lord? In verse 5, and the Lord says, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for, you know, it is hard for thee to kick against the, uh, the pricks or the divine impulse. And he trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go in the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Notice right then, there you have immediately the head directing his body. Okay? And he's getting, in other words, have you seen the vision? You've, you've, you've realized, <laughs> you knocked me off my vehicle. The, the glory of the Lord is encompassing around me. And notice this. You know, a lot of times we talk about signs and we talk about wonders, okay? And when we talk sometimes about signs and wonders, we a lot of times mention, you know, healings and miracles and great uh, 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 accounts of, of, of supernatural, you know, pr- provision of the Lord. But striking the apostle who was the Saul of Tarsus then, blind, that was a sign and a wonder, okay? Um, when uh, Herod began to lift himself up and to, uh, in, in Acts chapter 12, and it was struck in with, you know, with, with, with you know, and some kind of intestinal uh, disease and, and was eaten up, um, that was a sign and a wonder. And we sometimes think of these other things as being signs and wonders, but we also need to realize this is on this side of the cross. This is a sign and a wonder. And um, um, we see it also, obviously, with, with, uh, with the prophet Ezekiel about, and, you know, 
uh, different prophets, whether it was Jeremiah and Isaiah, all the different kinds of things that they did. Uh, you read about it even in uh, about Maria Woodworth Eder when she began, you know, who was in the 19th century and uh, probably a forerunner of what would be known as the Pentecostal movement. And all of a sudden she'd be, you know, preaching and the glory of the Lord would be upon her and she would just stand there for days, stopped encompassed by the glory of the Lord, and then all of a sudden she began preaching. That's a sign and a wonder, okay? Um, about, uh, let's go on to uh, verse, verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Isn't that a beautiful conversation? Or all of a sudden, the Lord says to you and knows you by name. The Bible says in, in the book of uh, Isaiah 43, you know, I have called you by thy name. He knows your name. He's called you by your name. When the Lord speaks to you, he speaks to you. He says, he says you know, your name, Stuart. He says, Hope. You know, he says, um, you know, Linda. He says, Don. He speaks your name, okay? He knows your name. And I, I love this part here where he says, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Just that part right there shows a communion with the Lord. And he, was a, he was a disciple. Um, and the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias said, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Now, you have to see, here's the Lord telling him to go and, and giving him an instruction. Then Ananias says, now, Lord, I've heard about this man and how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. This is, one of your, this is a person that's mainly persecuting the church. In verse 14, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. You know, I could imagine it would be, let's say, uh, a believer. You know, I'm just going to use this example because it's common in, in people's minds and history. It's not necessarily the perfect one. But, you know, imagine that, uh, you know, if somebody said, uh, you know, the Lord appeared unto somebody and said, okay, I want you to go to Heimlich Himmler, okay, you know, during World War II, you know, uh, in Nazi Germany, you know, the head of the SS and the head of the Gestapo. And all of a sudden, I want you to lay hands on him, okay, and all of a sudden, you may be of a particular persecuted group. You may be uh, of a particular Christian group. You may be of a particular, you know, Jewish group. You may be of a certain thing. And all of a sudden, the Lord tells you, I want you to go lay your hands on him. You want me to do what? Okay. They're rounding us up and killing us. They're locking us up. What are you talking about? You want me to go and see who that person is? No. Okay. But what did he do? Are you kidding, Lord? No. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. What did he do? Did he judge after the hearing of his ears about who the uh, Saul of Tarsus was? And he talked about that to the Lord. But again, what did he do? He says, I'm not going to know this man after the flesh. I'm going to know this man after the Spirit because the Spirit of the Lord is directing me to this particular individual. 
But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. Now imagine this. He's entering into the house of a man who has the authority to put chains on him and to throw him you know, and lock him up for believing in Jesus Christ. Remember, this is what he's doing. If, you know, if, in other words, if he missed it or he thought you know, it was indigestion and not the Lord that night on that vision or sight something terrible, man, he is in big trouble, okay? But he judged the word of the Lord. He went with the word of the Lord, and Ananias went his way, entered and putting his hands on Saul of Tars, putting his hands on him, said, listen to this statement of faith and obedience right here. He said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, if that's not a perfect example of not judging a person after the flesh, I don't know what is. He said, you are my brother because I listened and I was obedient to the heavenly vision the Lord told me and laid his hands on him. The Lord Jesus, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me. Just as in the few chapters later, when they prayed in, in Acts 13, and the Holy Ghost said, you know, separate me Barnabas and Saul, send them forth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ananias was a sent one. He was sent one to Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the Apostle Paul. I'll tell you, if that's not, you know, Jesus in, um, in, in, in Matthew chapter 8 of, uh, of uh, he says, this, he tells the story of the, of the centurion, uh, Roman, Roman centurion who came to him. And Jesus expressed his will, I will come and heal your servant who's sick. I want to come and heal him. But, the, but he said, no, just speak the word only. This centurion had enough recognition of who Jesus was, even though Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. Okay? They, he kind of went the hard way. But um, and he said, just speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. He understood authority, as we said, and in verse and in verse 10, of Matthew, uh, verse 10 of Matthew 8, it says, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. In my heart, I just have a sense that the Lord Jesus, even, even in his exalted position, even though he told Ananias, the disciple, to go and to lay hands on the apostle Paul, and to minister, you know, the, the precious gift of the Holy Spirit to him, I bet you he was still also marveling at Ananias' faith because that took great faith to reach out your hand and say, Brother Saul, okay? I was break faith. But, you know, I thank God that, anyway, let's, let's, let's go on. Let's go on in that same, that same, um, that same chapter, Okay? Let's see, chapter 9. Yes. 
Um, and immediately there fell from his eyes, verse uh, 18, and immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. So he, he immediately received, the, the, you know, the glory of the Lord was around him. He begin, his, his, his eyes were open. He received um, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. He was saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and, and water baptized very quickly. And when he had received meat, he had received food, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Just days. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. I would have loved to have heard those sermons. Here was this man with all this great and wonderful education and training. He practically received, you know, you know, some scholars say probably the equivalent of, of a couple doctorate degrees, you know, by his early 20s, uh, you know, in... Um, uh, in his in his religious studies, extremely well knowledgeable not only not only in, in that but also the literature of the time because the apostle Paul quotes uh, multiple pieces of of uh, what, what you would call secular literature um, in the New Testament. And I know that surprises people sometimes, but it's true. Um, uh, then was Saul certain days and. And I could imagine, can you imagine the Spirit of God taking all those things that, that, that were inside of him, and all of a sudden the revelation began to flow, and all of those prophecies, you know, from Genesis, you know, to you know, Malachi, all of a sudden they just turned on a dime, and he says, those were about the Messiah. I mean, can you imagine that fresh zeal from, from him that, that all of a sudden he charged down there? That was, it must have been amazing. Verse 21 but all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this, on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased, more, uh, increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Um, jump, um, I'm going to jump down to verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, okay, he had been at Damascus. Okay, now he's coming down to Jerusalem, all right? And this is one of the things that um, I always want to sometimes explain to young Christians, especially new believers. We bring them into the, they get saved. We want to nourish them. You know, we want to, you know, nurture them. We want to disciple them. We want to, you know, bring them along in the things of the Lord. That's what we want to do. But the one thing that they cannot do is base their faith and relationship on their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ may reject you. What do I mean may? Will reject you, will offend you. Will, will, will cause something about you, and all of a sudden you can say, oh, those people are like everything else, because look what happened right here to verse 26. The apostle Paul assayed to join himself to the disciples. This Jerusalem church, which was the most established church in the New Testament, when you're, I, I'm a new believer, I want to join this wonderful community of believers, so I'm going to join, I'm going to try to join them. It's like, no, okay? What are these people doing? These people are judging him by human standards. They're not necessarily following what Ananias did. They're still judging after what they know about the Apostle Paul rather than the revelation of what happened in that man's heart. 
This is the dichotomy right here in Acts chapter 9 of what, of, of what is explained in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, they were, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Just like Jesus in John 1.11, you know, he came unto his own and his own received him not. These are the people that should have accepted him. He came to his own. These are the fellow, his fellow believers. His own received him not. But Barnabas, thank God for Barnabas, the son of consolation, the son of rest, took him and brought him to the disciples and declared unto them that he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of the Lord. We see in this chapter of chapter 9, we see, we see both sides of the equation. We see people being led by the Spirit of God. We see Ananias. We see Barnabas. But we also see those same people that when the Apostle Paul went to the synagogue, they say, isn't this the guy that uh, was doing, you know, persecuting the church? Isn't this the guy? We kind of know this guy, okay? And so they begin to judge them after the hearing. Who, does that, who else does that sound like? That also sounds a little bit what happened to our Lord when he was here on this, when he was here on this earth. Remember in, Ma- in Mark chapter 6, he says, um, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. They were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he, yeah, exactly, which is true. And, you know, so much of the time is that the people who know you the best are the ones that are at least to believe that the Spirit of the Lord is going to flow through you. Why? Because they, all, they know all of your faults. They know all of your problems. They know all of your, 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 your goofiness when nobody else is around, okay? And so they're thinking that there is no way that the Spirit of God and the grace of God could flow through you, you know? Um, and because I know all your embarrassing moments, and certainly God wouldn't use you. But Jesus said, he went on in verse 5 of, of Mark chapter 6, and he could do there no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages and teaching. So, on the one hand, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus marveled at the centurion's great faith. I've not seen great faith. You recognize who I am, and you know that all, and you're, you're saying, I just need to speak the word only, and your servant, and you're, you know that your servant will be healed. But on the, in his own hometown, he goes there, and he tries to do the same thing. But what do they say? Who's this guy? We're not going to receive anything from him. So, you know what that tells me? That tells me the same thing that the children of Israel did that's recorded in Psalm 78 and, and verse 41. It says they tempted God, okay? They limited the Holy One of Israel. They prevented Him from working. Jesus could do no mighty work in, the home, his, in His own hometown. But 
the Spirit of God could flow and could be, uh, uh, the, the power of God was manifested in, that, in the life of the centurion's uh, servant, okay? So, um, but, what is, but what does that have to do with anything? That has to do with, that has to do with, um, and let me just read that again in Psalm, I've mentioned that kind of quickly. Psalm 70, 41, it says, I'm going to read that out of the, uh, out of the Living Bible. It says, and again and again, they turned away and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel from giving them his blessings. Uh, Oxford Jewish Bible says, again and again, they turned back and tested God and imposed limits on the Holy One of Israel. They imposed limits on the Holy One of Israel. Yea, they turned back and tempted God, in King James, and limited the Holy One of Israel. Um, in Mark 6, when Jesus went to his own hometown, he could do there no mighty work. Um, but he could do works in other places. Amen? Amen. So, and what does that have to do? That has to do with recognition of the body of Christ. One of the things... Um, that the Apostle Paul talked about is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me just mention this part. Um, and let's read the whole thing. And let's, okay, let's see how far we go. Um, okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse, uh, hmm, 17. Okay, verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together not for the better but for the worse. But first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. But there must be, you know, uh, also heresies or, 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 or frac fractions among you, factions, uh, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, there, together therefore in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh um, before another his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. In other words, immediately he starts talking about how the way that you are treating each other within the body of Christ, okay? He hasn't even gotten to the Lord's table yet, but he's just talking about the way that they're treating each other, okay? What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as, as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Okay. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, or in an unworthy manner, doesn't say he's unworthy. You know why? Because he made me worthy. Okay, he made you worthy. Okay, his blood made you worthy. There's nothing you can do to make yourself worthy. Okay, nothing. Okay, he made me worthy. In an unworthy way, okay, eat and drink damnation to himself. That's not... 
condemnation from the Lord because, as Anne preached earlier a few weeks ago, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So if that condemnation's coming, it's not coming from the Lord, okay? So, for this cause, and he says, look at verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, in an unworthy way, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, the thought there sometimes is that, well, you don't reverence the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and the taking of communion or taking of the Lord's elements, you know, in remembrance of him. But what was the context of this whole passage of Scripture just a moment ago? He was talking about the way that they were treating each other and, and, and usurping each other and thinking, well, I'm better than you, and you're better than this person and other persons. And basically, one, one group was lording it over another group right there in the middle of the church. Was that edifying to them? No, okay? So they were not esteeming each other better than themselves, as the Apostle Paul talked about in another passage. He says, what did he say? Not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. When we do not, when we look at each other after the flesh, when we look and judge each other after the seeing of our eyes, when we judge each other after human standards, we are limiting the Holy One of Israel. We are not letting him flow through the body. We're not letting the body of Christ function as it's supposed to function, okay? We're, we're, we're seeing each other after, after, after our, our human understanding rather than having a revelation of who each other is within the body of Christ. Thank God for godly examples like Ananias and Barnabas in Acts chapter 9 who listened to the Lord and edified and brought the people into the fellowship of, of, of the church, okay? That was a wonderful thing, and that needs to be our example. Not, but, you know, I thank God that, you know, the Bible's a wonderful book because it records warts and all. You know why? Because it records the history of us, Okay, in relationship with how we're in our redemption, of course, but it it is a perfect example of who we are as people. You know, human beings are as people. But for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. We do not esteem each other the way we should. We don't let the the spirit of the Lord flow. We don't, and therefore that causes sickness and disease. There is can be. We are responsible for each other. There is a, there is a corporate responsibility, okay? Whether it's, it, it's in prayer, whether it's in giving, whether whatever the grace of God is that's on the inside of you, I need to esteem that and receive that because Christ put that on the inside of you, okay? If I don't do that and I don't receive it and I don't acknowledge that for, 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 what, for, for who you are and what it is, I'm basically you know, cutting off my nose to spite my face, essentially, okay? I am limiting God from flowing through his body by not allowing and receiving from you. And it doesn't have anything to do with how old you are. It doesn't have anything to do with, you know, uh, your education. It doesn't have anything to do with any of that because the Spirit of God rests on the inside of you. If you're a believer, we need to receive that. And God can speak through you in a powerful way. Um, no matter who you are, all right? Um, let me read this out of the, uh, uh, um, the CEV, uh, verse 28. It says, that's why, it, it kind of brings it out a little bit more. That's why you must examine the way you eat and drink, the way you eat and drink. If you fail to understand that you are the body of the Lord, you will condemn yourself by the way you eat and drink. That's pretty plain. I'm going to read it one more time. 
If you fail to understand, verse 29 of this, if you fail to understand that you are the body of the Lord, you will condemn yourself by the way you eat and drink. So, um, Ananias, he ignored his sense or natural knowledge of Saul. He obeyed the Lord. Um, and thank God that he did. Um, and, and Jesus, even in Matthew 23, he says, at the end of Matthew 23, because he knew what it was like to be rejected. You know, there was nobody more rejected than, than our Lord and Savior, okay? Um, thank God he was rejected so we could be accepted, you know, in the kingdom. That it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And we limit ourselves when we turn away our fellow brothers and sisters by not acknowledging when they come in the name of the Lord. We, we look at them, oh, well, you know, what do you know? You're 15 years old. You're 16 years old. Oh, what do you know? You're way too old to talk to me, okay? You don't have anything to speak into my life. I don't have, you don't have any, you know, you know I'm just, there's, there's no real relationship. So it goes both ways. So if we reject a person because they're younger or because they're older, we've missed the boat. We're the body of Christ. We need each other, okay? That's the only way we can be edified. The Lord has also given unto us um, gifts, when he, you know, the ascension gifts, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Uh, we read in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18 that the Lord promised, the Lord spoke, there's going to be rain in the first verse of that chapter. In the latter part of that chapter, he told, he told uh, his servant Gehazi, go up and check and see if there's any rain up there. But he put himself in that travailing birthing position, did, did, did Elijah. And he brought forth, even though the Lord gave him the promise, he still had to bring it forth. And then what did he say? The seventh time when he was said, what do you see? I see a cloud coming out of the sea. Sea is oftentimes a representative of, of, of humanity. We are the Lord's people. I see a cloud coming out of the sea. I see rivers flowing out of your belly. And what does that look like? I see a cloud as a man's hand, okay, as a man's hand. And those ascension gifts are basically, or sometimes they're called the fivefold ministry, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. The cool thing about your hand is that your hand can reach and touch all the different parts of your body, Okay, so the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, it can minister unto the elbow, unto the joint, unto the knee, unto the liver, unto the spleen, unto wherever part of the body that you happen to be, the hand can reach there. But, you know, and, but, the, but the cool thing about it is I can, I can, I can pour you living water from, from that pitcher when I have that hand. But, you know, the interesting thing is I can't really you know, help you, though, or pour you a glass of water with my shoulder, all right? Or I can't do it with just my elbow, but this is what I can do. That part of the body that is the shoulder and that part of the body that is the elbow 
can extend the hand, and the hand can go further and minister further out. Just as a joint would supply, as the pastor often quotes the latter part of that, so a joint can supply and extend that ministry out. It says in the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 54, you, you lengthen cords and you strengthen stakes. When the hand of the, when the, hand of the, and the ministry goes forth, all of a sudden that home base of the community becomes strengthened and edified because they have to live and grow from what's on in the grace of the God it's on the inside of you and the inside of me. It's not just based upon one individual, but to thank God that we as the body of Christ can extend that. Just like we extended to help the pastors a few uh, weeks ago when he went to Amsterdam and the Ukraine, it was because it was here that that extension was put forth. Okay? That's what the body of Christ can do. That's how it supplies and, and, and brings together what, uh, where, where, no matter where, where we're at in the world, no matter what part of the world we're in. And it can flow and it can go. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul, now that he's the Apostle, now this is the part where it's going to change. Can, mm, I'm probably going to run out of time. <laughs> um, I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. Um, I'm going to make this brief. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want you to imagine the Apostle Paul. We saw him at his conversion in Acts chapter 9. I want you to imagine him now. He's old. He's aged. He's in a cell. He's thinking about the, the end of his life. And um, while he is in his cell, in prison, restrained, um, in the middle of the night, he's awakened. And he's awakened to pray. And you would think that the Apostle Paul would be awakened for a particular great need. One of the churches in Jerusalem, one of the churches that he planted, maybe one of his fellow apostles. But it wasn't. The heavens were opened and awakened, and Paul began to pray for his son in the Lord, Timothy. And God was basically saying, you know, he needs your prayers, and he needs them now. If this, in this hour, in this serious hour, he may be under so much pressure that he may not make it, you know, uh, your son may not make it if you don't get up and you don't pray for him. So it's not that Timothy's faith, faith would fail, but he would sort of shrink back from the position that God had placed him in and put him in. He is still going to go to church. He's still going to be faithful. He's still going to be those, you know, in the small things. He's still going to go to heaven, Okay. He's not going to do that. But he is not going to be necessarily where the Lord has put him and placed him. In our day, communication is extremely rapid. You can have a video conference with somebody from around the world in minutes. Just right now, you can flip out your phones and probably do that right now. Okay? You can communicate communication. We can get on a plane and fly halfway around the world. In the Apostle Paul's time, that wasn't so. But this piece of revelation that the the Lord was giving him had to be communicated to him. So he pulled out 
a writing utensil, some parchment. And he began to write down how to set his son in the Lord back where he needed to be. And the Apostle Paul starts out his letter, as he says in many of his letters, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, which is a strength, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. He didn't say, I'm an apostle by the will of the elders or by the choice of Peter or by some counsel. He said, I am an apostle by his will. And I serve as an apostle by the promise of life. If the Lord told me to do something and he gave me a word for it, I would do it. He didn't depend upon the failings of other people that would come and see him even while he was in prison. He said, if the, if the Lord promised me life, he would deliver me every time. That's how I conduct this apostleship. It reminds me a little bit of Abraham. Abraham, when he was called out in, in uh, Genesis chapter 13, he uh, had Lot with him, who you know, the Lord did not call Lot. <laughs> Lot was tagging along. He had, he had a whole caravan of people, but Abraham was with him. And their um, cattle and their livestock was getting too close together. And Abraham came to Lot, because don't, don't let there be strife between us. He said, uh, there's plenty of room here. You choose where you want to go. Now, you know, that was interesting to me. Here was Abraham. He was in charge of this community. But he says to Lot, you choose. Okay? And you would think that, well, I'm going to choose the best land where it was green and where it was, where they, where it was uh, you know, the most fertile, where my, my livestock would get the most food. But God gave Abraham that land not because he was really good at choosing land, but because he was dependent upon God's promise. <laughs> if he could promise him that his seed would be like the stars of the heaven and like the sand of the sea. He figured he can handle my livestock, okay, no matter where I'm at. And the Apostle Paul was the same in this regard. He said, if you called me to this apostleship and brought forth this revelation, I can depend upon your promise. That's what I'm the Apostle Paul by, by the will of God. I cannot trust the human promise that causes Anyway, that, mm, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse, verse, verse 2, it says, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. We know that there was no biological relationship between the Apostle Paul and Timothy. But, you know, the Apostle Paul, in writing to uh, Corinthians in chapter uh, 4 of 1 Corinthians, he says, you know, you have many teachers, but you don't have very many fathers, okay? And there are some people who would love to teach you and to collect, but they don't have many people who will watch over you and and shepherd your soul. There are many people like that in the world, that they're willing to have their talents, and you'll even see them in some places, 
even, even ministerially, okay? Well, they'll come in, and because they have a certain ability, all of a sudden they'll say certain things, people will applaud, they'll take what they need, but there's no relationship there with the people, okay? There, Jesus put it this way, you know, there are many out there, many, many hirelings out there, but there's few shepherds. And there's a lot of hirelings even in the workplace that, you know, could, you, and this, this also goes for the workplace. You can have people who are managers, but they're not shepherds over their employees and working. You know the difference, okay? You know the difference, okay? Amen. He starts, but this relationship that the Apostle Paul had with Timothy was a divine relationship. It transcended natural, familiar relations and went down into the realm of the Spirit and the Spirit of God, you know, was tied up with the Spirit of man and we tied it up in a holy knot and it wasn't to be separated, it wasn't to be broken. And he starts, this is so beautiful. He doesn't call Timothy my convert. He doesn't call Timothy the 101st person that I'm covering. He says, Timothy, my son. That's bringing you in close, okay? It's knowing the heart. And he says to him, grace, divine influence upon the heart, and that abounding power is to be unto you. He says, mercy, God's ability to act on your behalf, and thank God we all need mercy. Every morning, thank God his mercies are new every morning. You know why his mercies are new every morning? It's because you used that dose up yesterday, okay? And sometimes, sometimes uh, the mercy of God, we all need it because just when you think you have your act together and you know what you're doing, there's all of a sudden a goofy side of you will appear, okay? And you're going, where did that come from? And right then and there, you need God's mercy, And then he said to him, peace, the peace of God which passes all understanding, the peace of God that causes the fog to leave your mind and for the doubt to go away. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto my son. He says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. He says, "I, I thought that I was doing right even for my forefathers, even when I was doing wrong, even when I was consenting unto the death of Stephen, I thought I was doing right. But when I realized that that, that was wrong and that I was, you know, and, and that, that, the, that blinding light that came to me on the, on the road to Damascus, and then I changed. I turned from my way. I changed my thinking. And the same zeal that I had to persecute the church, I turned it 180 degrees, and now I'm preaching the cross of Christ and Him crucified. I always wanted to do the right thing, he tells him. And Timothy, I'm praying for you. You may be a thousand miles away. You may think that nobody sees your problem. You may think that God has left you alone, but I'm here to tell you that He hasn't. He said, I'm not judging this by the, what I see. I'm judging this by the Spirit. I'm knowing you who you are. And I don't care what the distance is between us. I would love to be there. I would love to see you and embrace you. But 
I'm restrained and I can't, but I want you to know that you are not alone. You are not the 101st person that I'm covering. And that I want you to know that my joy is your joy and that when I talk to you and I communicate with you, I want you to know that I'm, you're hearing my heart being poured out onto you. Hallelujah. Great joy desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. And right here, the Apostle Paul changes his tone a little bit. And he says, Timothy, I remind you. Timothy, I remind you. Why do we need to be reminded? We need to remind it because we forget. We forget by degrees. We forget the biblical truths and the words of the Lord that were spoken unto us. We forget the grace and the gift and the calling and the high calling of God that God has placed before us. And we come back to a comfortable place. Oh, we're not out of his glory. We're not out of his will. But it's not with the same punch. It's not with the same authority. It's not with the same standing. It's not on that same edge where he wants you to be. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt First, in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. He first begins to put him back into his place and ignite his place by telling him to, you remember your heritage. You remember where you came from. He goes, it might have been one of my first crusades, the apostle Paul might say to, to Timothy, and I remember when you were a little boy. And when your grandmother may have been at, at one of my crusades and your mother was back home preparing dinner for us, and they brought me there to you, and I first met you, and all of a sudden your neighbors, though, left because they thought there might be a riot. But all of a sudden, you came around and you saw me, and you didn't say very much to me, but you saw my face, you saw my scars, and I began to share with your mother and your grandmother and we begin to talk about the things of the Lord. And I begin to see a particular light. And your mother and your grandmother had a certain grit to their faith, a certain standing, a certain place where it wasn't to be moved. It was an unfeigned faith. And the second time, maybe when I met you, I don't know, I saw that. And he says, wherefore, I put you in remembrance. And don't tell me that that gift and that grace isn't there because I know it's there because I laid my hands on you. It may have been a time when the hand, the hand of the Lord was heavy and it was a time and a season and I know that it's there. And I want you to remember, Timothy, that you're not only graced and by, by God, I want you to know that you've received my spiritual DNA. Don't ever be afraid of where you have come from, from where how God has put you together. 
Some people want to be, well, I want to be like this person. I want to be like this person. But God has composed you and put you together in the fashion that he wants you in. He has given you influences and backgrounds and teachers and, 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 and people who have, who have loved you and have imparted the grace of God on the inside of you. And he's wanting you, do not forget this. I would remind you, Timothy, I would remind you that God also has not given you a spirit of fear. If there is anything trying to motivate you in that grace and that gift, it doesn't come from me. I'm not going to teach you by fear. I have nothing to do with being, you being afraid. If it's afraid, you come against it and you fight that and you resist it. And you let, that, you let that gift in that grace that's been placed on the inside of you and you stir it up. But I've given you power, love, and a sound mind. And sometimes people also want you to tone down where you came from. And he says to him, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me his prisoner. There are some people that say, oh, you shouldn't talk about this person. You know, you know, I could just see the ministerial association saying, you don't want to be like Paul. You know, Paul, you know, if you want to be like Paul, you're going to end up being a jailbird. You know, Paul knows all the best jails. He knows the ones that have the soft mattresses and the hard mattresses. He knows the ones that have the good food and the bad food. You know, he's been through everything. You, don't, you want to be like Paul? Are you ashamed? Oh, all of a sudden, you become ashamed of where you came from. Okay? He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of how you've been composed in that spiritual DNA that's on the inside of you. You stand up boldly and you proclaim the gospel. And that is one way that Jesus, the head of the church, directed his apostle to put him back in the place that he, back in the place that he needed to be. The apostle Paul also knew that the laying on of hands and the impartation was there for him because he remembered back to his conversion when Ananias came in and he said, laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. It started right then and there. I know some people want to meet Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to meet Ananias because... I want to meet Ananias because he obeyed the heavenly vision. Had it not been for him, who knows if the Apostle Paul would have finally come to the place that he was and how he came about. But thank God that he was not disobedient. And then he took that same understanding decades later, and he talked to his son, and he said, I know that that gifting and that that grace is there. I know that you are my son in the Lord, I know that it's there. 